0: Welcome to the 1,000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Jenny Urich. I'm the founder of 1,000 Hours Outside. I'm so excited. I read this phenomenal book called The Worry-Free Parent and the author, Sissy Goff, is here today. Welcome. Jenny, I'm so excited to be on this with you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have written so many books. You have a phenomenal podcast. You are spreading the word on Instagram and your website. You have the Raising Boys and Girls podcast. Just episode after the next after the next you just had on andrew peterson i'm such a huge fan i saw a performance of his earlier this year
1: and was so blown away have you been to behold the lamb no i haven't oh jenny i know it's not anywhere near us this year year. so next
0: year it's on my list he did this conference i was at and i I mean i I never have sat in such a moving live performance ever and i think Mm. he was one of your most recent guests so yes it's just such an honor to have you on i love that this is sissy goff lpc-mhsp i
1: love all the <laughs> letters <laughs> you're so sweet director
0: of child and adolescent counseling at daystar counseling ministries which is a beautiful home that's got the picket fence and these rooms these cozy rooms author of 13 books including the best-selling raising worry-free girls and you speak across the country your chart-topping podcast raising boys and girls with david thomas and this is your newest book, The Worry-Free Parent Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too and I you match it to Love it. And Look I do. Look at your sweater. Look at that.
1: That's so Look cute. Look at that. Maybe I, I did it on
0: purpose. Maybe <laughs> maybe I didn't. I don't know, but this is a topic that a lot of people are struggling with. Is they are struggling with worry, they're struggling with anxiety mm. and your point is a lot of times that is bleeding down to the kids.
1: Yes. It's
0: kind of leaking out and we are really, really struggling. Can you talk to us about what you're seeing in your practice? Because you've been doing this for a few decades and Mm -hmm. you have a front row seat to change. Mm. And I always think that's such an interesting perspective to have. What have you seen in terms of change from maybe how parents used to feel 10 years ago, 15 years ago, to how they're feeling now? Has there been a noticeable change or has it been a
1: gradual? noticeable change it has been really significant I would I mean really in the last five years I mean 90 percent of the kids coming in today start currently are coming in for anxiety and statistically we are now at one in four kids are dealing with it one in three adolescents girls are twice as likely as boys to struggle with it interesting thing boys are actually taken to get help more than girls even though girls struggle with it more, which is fascinating. But we are just, yeah, we're seeing it in droves among kids. And statistically speaking, if as a parent you have anxiety, your kids are seven times more likely to deal with it. But I honestly, Jenny, I would say there is not a parent that I sit with who brings their kid in for anxiety that at least one of the parents doesn't have anxiety themselves. Mm Mm-hmm just think it's
0: rampant among kids and adults yeah a big big change yes and so this is something that you're dealing with on a daily basis is helping the kids and helping the parents to make a big change you say it's a social contagion mm. i thought this was so interesting there were so many interesting things in this book you're so kind you said simply observing someone who is stressed caused 26 percent of the people that were in this study to also show elevated levels of cortisol the stress hormone. And then also it was even higher if you're in a romantic relationship. So you're observing someone who's stressed. It just made me think about our culture, how we are as parents, how we present ourselves to our kids. And what I thought about was if 26% of people feel stressed just by seeing someone else feel stressed, how do you become one of the 74% (laughs) Mm. that it doesn't affect you as much? Yeah. Yeah. How do we separate ourselves a little bit from this stressful world that we're in, be a little bit more
1: grounded and make some changes there? Yeah, I think we've got to do our own work, certainly. And that's one of the things we talk about a lot in the book is, is the number one thing parents can do for their kids is to do their own work. And as you were saying that, number, I was even picturing parents sitting watching the news today. And there is no way to watch the news and be breezy. You know, we're just... Not going to watch the news with zero emotional reaction because everything about it is stressful. I think for us to make sure we're doing the things we know that bring us life, that help bring us back to a more peaceful place. Getting outside, going for a walk, talking to a friend, watching a show that's silly, that's not causing you more stress, reading a book, going to counseling if we need to ourselves. The practical self-care things that we can do to bring ourselves back down. Not only significantly impact us, but mm. like you're saying from that statistic, they impact the lives of the people around us too, and especially the kids that we love. I mean, the numbers, thinking about how it goes up in a romantic relationship, there was no data on it, but it's got to go up even more in a parent child relationship when their brains aren't finished developing. Yeah. And they're really tied into your emotions for sure.
0: Right. And you say, and I thought this was such an interesting point, I mean, this is critical. When you look at it through the lens of your book that kids are seven times more likely to experience anxiety if their parent is struggling and this whole piece of the social contagion and stress in the home, but parents will say to you often, almost all the time, I don't have time for that.
1: (laughs) Right, exactly. And what I will say to parents in my office who say that, I will say, yes, you do. Like you've got to find it somewhere else. And I even have said to parents, I would rather you put your child's counseling on hold and go talk to somebody yourself for a period of time, because if they get better and you're not, it's going to continue to impact them. You know, it's family systems are like cogs in a wheel that all perpetuate each other. And so until we can get healthy as families, no one's going to be that healthy individually. Mm hmm it really drove the point home that this really matters. Actually, it's
0: like a non-negotiable. And you said, you know, but everyone says, I don't have time for that. You say, I believe one of the hardest things in the world for you to do is simply take care of yourself. Yes. And then everything stems from that. And even just this concept, I got so much out. (laughs) I'm flying all over the place. You're so kind. You're making my day. Thank you. Well, this concept of parental warmth i have never thought about heard about Mm. you're talking about how anxiety can cause us to come across as less warm and that is affecting our relationships with our kids you talked about this study of a non-responsive expressionless mother and it stopped me in my tracks because of our phones
1: yes exactly Exactly. And
0: I thought, oh, how many times have I been non-responsive or emotionless because I've had a phone in my hand?
1: You're staring at that.
0: Or that anxiety is causing me to not be warm. You had some really cool practical help for that. You said, practice warmth. Mm. How could a parent do that?
1: You know, it's funny. We had a neuropsychologist on our podcast the other day who talked about how one of... It, it's, it's interesting because it's kind of a double benefit. But she said, um, you have something called a smile network in your brain, which mm-hmm. offsets anxiety. And so she said, I will tell my kids who are anxious to even put something in their mouth, like a straw in their mouth, that'll make their face move into a smile. Because even when it's not genuine, it's still activating that network in our brain. And so to stand in front of a mirror and smile or to... I mean, I do this. I'm a. Are you an enneagram person at all? I know that you are. Yes. Someone told me I was a two. Really? <laughs>
0: yeah, I don't know. I'm going to disappoint you, have some you on this.
1: Seven vibes too, because you're so fun.
0: What would be the enneagram for someone who's scared of the word? What would oh. be your number?
1: <laughs> uh, you could be a couple of different things.
0: That <laughs> yes, I was, I was I was like, I can't pronounce this, so I am not going <laughs> to go there. <laughs>
1: I'm whatever That's that good. number is. <laughs> That's good. Yes. Well, I'm a perfectionist, mm-hmm. which means I'm very type A. And so I will sometimes say to myself when I'm talking to somebody, because I can get so locked into my agenda that I think is anxiety based, sissy, stop and look at that person and smile at them and have warmth in this moment. And I, I'm with you. I didn't know this either until I started researching it. And it the research says anxiety in kids is often linked to a lack of parental warmth and I can't mm-hmm. tell you how often I've seen it in my offices. I I work with this one family and this mom has the very best of intentions of maybe any mom I've ever met. And it's like, she just can't access the warmth. She has so much intensity. I think she's the same personality type I am mm-hmm. and she can't access it. It's not that it's not who she is. I think she's probably a really warm person inside, but she can't get there because her brain is spinning out so much in anxiety. And so again... Takes us back to self care, yeah, yeah. And I just love—I
0: mean, it really stopped me in my tracks. Practice warmth. Practice the tone of voice. My fourteen-year-old daughter said to me the other day, as I'm reading this book, she said, "Mom, she said I love it when people touch my face." And so I've been trying to do that. She just she loves this. So now, like when she goes to bed, you know, i <laughs> you—you have to practice it because I think maybe it doesn't
1: come all that naturally and. Okay, Jenny, I'm going to interrupt you because I have to tell you, as a counselor with 30 years of experience, anytime your 14-year-old daughter tells you as a mom what she needs, that is maybe the biggest compliment you could ever receive. Because 14-year-old girls don't often say those things out loud to their moms. They still want them, but they're in this ambivalent, like, come close, get away, come close, get away. And the fact that she would say that to you, what a gift. And that that you heard her. I mean, that says so much about y'all's relationship. So- I do not wanna not say that. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you. Well, I so appreciated reading the book. I mean, it happened almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I'm reading this part about practicing warmth and I think we can get so caught up in what we have to do and what's coming that we miss those pieces. Yes. This is just like one little thread in this incredible book. There's so much in there. When you're talking about this intensity, I have this bolded. One of the most important skills you can learn is how to manage your intensity dial it up. Sometimes you have to dial it up. Yeah. But I think more often we have to practice dialing it down. Yes. I got that out of your book too. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Managing my intensity. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. never been in my mind. Like this is oh no. it, but it really does make sense. And that goes back to that self care piece too and how we come across to others. So
1: try softer. Oh, there's so much in here, sissy you're so sweet. And I think a really important piece of the intensity part is I believe we all need somebody in our life who will help us help reflect it back to us. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think it was probably until I was in my 30s that I realized how intense I could come off. Mm-hmm. And so to have, whether it's our spouse, whether it's a close friend that can say, hey, you know what? I think you're being more intense than you mean to be right now. Or I don't think you you have any clue how your tone sounds in those moments or if you can tell your child is reacting to something and you think, I'm not even that mad at them. Mm. I don't know why they're upset to pay attention to those cues that we've got to become aware of it before we can work on it. Yeah. You were so vulnerable Mm. in this book and
0: talking about your own experiences. I mean you even said someone came to you and said you're you're being too critical. Yes. Right? Like someone at your work. Yes. It's impressive that you were able to take that in and then put it into a book to share with others. But we're talking about trying to get kids outside and giving them more freedom. Oh,
1: I love that you're doing that. I love it. But it's hard. And
0: you talk a lot in this book about helicopter parenting and about control. I think parents would love to have a little insight into, I think you do such a good job. Like everyone knows the term helicopter parenting. And they know what it is and they know that they shouldn't probably do it so much but you give solutions in here mm. about how do we let go yeah. so can you give a parent some suggestions like they're gonna say look i know i know mm-hmm. i'm not supposed to be a helicopter parent i want to let off the reins that i'm scared how can we start to make some small steps into being a parent that gives a child a little bit more freedom
1: Well, from a very practical standpoint, I would say to parents, I want you to pick two things you're doing for your kids right now that they can do for themselves, and pick two things you're doing for them that they can almost do for themselves. And I want you to stop doing all four. That's great. That's just super practical. But I do think there's, I think we're just not even aware sometimes how often we're stepping in and fixing it and rescuing and kind of paving the road ahead of them. And kids, They gain more confidence from doing hard things, really, than anything else. And so unless we're giving them the opportunity to move towards things that are just beyond their reach, we're not giving them the opportunity to develop that confidence.
0: So you had this sentence, and I thought this was so eye-opening, anxiety plus, because we're like, okay, helicopter parenting, and you talked about in the book, the term came about in the 60s, I think, maybe the end of the 60s, or there was some information there, 1969. Mm -hmm. It's been around for a bit, but -hmm. I don't think people have been talking about it until more recently. And so you say it's anxiety plus intensity that equals micromanaging. Yes. And that's what's changed in the last 20 years, five years, 10 years. Yes, exactly. Both are up. Mm -hmm. Anxiety, you're talking about this, the statistics, and also parenting has become so intense. Why do those two things cause us to micromanage?
1: Well, so I wrote another book for parents to help their kids called Raising Worry Freak Girls. And in that, I came up with this definition of anxiety that anxiety is an overestimation of the problem and an underestimation of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that sense of anxiety means, I don't think you're going to be okay. The intensity means often, I don't think I have what it takes. So I've got to dial this up and figure it out and work harder. And I think both of those things make us feel like we have to lock down. There's just a lack of trust in the child, a lack of trust in ourselves. And so we've got to try harder, work harder, pay more attention, be more hypervigilant, and we just lock down. And then we end up being really controlling Mm -hmm. without, again, intending to. And then what happens is our kids don't feel trusted, which in their brains makes them think, you don't think I'm capable, Mm. which is not the message we're trying to give at all. But when we're doing it for them, that's the message they receive. I'm not capable of doing it myself. Mm -hmm. And so dialing it back creates more confidence in them, more Mm. trust between us. Yeah. Anxiety plus intensity
0: equals micromanaging. So if you could pull back either of those or a little bit of both, it's going to help you with those feelings of control. And I know you said it's like the more you feel like you have control or want control, it, it's just a cycle. So what I see, like if you're a parent, you're constantly checking where your kid is on Life360, then you can const- it doesn't alleviate it. Right. right. Logically, you think it's gonna alleviate it, but it actually makes it worse. Yes. So I love your suggestions, like stop. Stop. I try one time to not do it yeah. and then see where that takes you. It's really practical. And yeah. there's this whole section in your book about the amygdala, which I hope mm-hmm. I'm pronouncing correctly. You did. You did great. This is huge because our emotions are sort of taking over in this amygdala mm-hmm. and we cannot logically rein it in. Yeah. This is so important to know. I used to be a teacher and I think that you cannot just say to someone, calm down.
1: <laughs> right. right. But that's work. our first instinct. We think it's going to work, <laughs> even though we know it doesn't.
0: So we're dealing with kids. We're dealing with students. We're dealing with people, spouses, friends. When someone's upset, can you explain what's happening in the brain and why just saying calm down doesn't work?
1: Yes. So for any of us in calmer moments, we have blood flowing all throughout our brains, including going to the prefrontal cortex that helps us think rationally and manage our emotions. When we get anxious. The blood vessels in our brain constrict, and it shifts the blood flow away from the prefrontal cortex and to the amygdala that you're talking about. And the amygdala is the fight or flight, sometimes freeze region of our brain. What that means is the part of our brain that's rational and thoughtful and can problem solve all of those things. It's not even online. It's not functioning Mm. in that moment, which is why in counseling, parents will say to me, my child's like a crazy person when they get to this place. Right because the logical part of their brain's not working. And so in that moment, when we're saying, calm down, or stop it, or I don't even understand why you're worried, or we get more angry, their amygdala just digs in deeper than ours does too. I think it's a little bit like if you lived in a dorm at any point, and one person started their period, and then all of a sudden, everybody on the hall is on their period. I think amygdalas function the same way. Mm. So Your child's gets flipped and then yours does, or yours gets flipped and then theirs does. And then nobody's thinking, which is why I always want families to have a code word that Mm -hmm. anybody in the family can say, when we start to move to that place where the amygdala is taken over, anybody gets to say watermelon or, you know, silly or I need a minute. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, everybody pauses and goes to their space, whatever the space that is, and they take Deep breaths or they go for a walk and get outside or whatever it is they need to do to bring themselves back down and then come back. You don't ignore it, but then you come back and have a rational conversation when when everybody's prefrontal cortexes are in charge instead of their amygdala. When the blood comes back. (laughs) When the blood
0: comes back. This is a huge deal. It reminds me of when you have a toddler that has a meltdown in the grocery store, and then all of a sudden you're freaking out because they're freaking out and there's just There's nothing you can do in that moment except for to try and get to a spot where you can both calm down. Yes. And then you deal with it, but you can't stop it in that exact moment. And I thought you gave so many practical examples of how to deal with it. So, one of the ones which had some great names was just this box breathing. Yes. But I love that the Navy SEALs call it combat breathing. Isn't that awesome? Which I think is maybe a more fun name. You know, if you've got kids, like if you've got boys or whatever, girls too, you say, oh, we're going to do our combat breathing. I think they might attach back to that as opposed to box breathing. But yes. can you talk to us? I mean, breathing just seems like, come on, sissy. Really? Uh-huh. Like breathing, I I breathing know. is going to
1: solve it. But it does. Tell us why. It does. My five-year-old nephew calls it rocket ship breathing because he draws a rocket ship. So they can come up with whatever name they want. But yes, when we start to take deep breaths again, it does a lot of things. We could fill up a whole podcast talking about all the amazing things breathing does. But one that's super understandable is that it dilates your blood vessels in your brain again, and it shifts the blood flow back to the prefrontal cortex. So it gets it working again. And 20 seconds of deep breathing begins the process of resetting the amygdala. How long? And getting it out of control. Wait. 20 seconds. <laughs> Did she say 20 minutes? 20 seconds? 20 seconds, which would be about three boxes, if you drew three boxes. So just slow breathing in and out, regulating our breath. And the reason often we'll do combat or box or square breathing, whatever we want to call it, is it just is a way to kind of remember where you are with it. So four seconds on the first line of the box, you breathe in, pause for four seconds, breathe out the next line, pause for four seconds in Pause for four seconds out. And another thing that we do in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of the gold standard for dealing with anxiety, is what are called grounding techniques. And anything sensory related is grounding. And so the other thing that I love about having them draw on their leg is Mm. that feeling from a tactile sense is grounding. And kids, I'll have kids who sit in their desk and they'll do it before they walk up and have to give a speech that they're really nervous about. We'll have kids who do it at the free throw line and nobody knows what they're doing with their hand. I have in some really big, important speaking events done it before I walk on the stage. I mean, it's just so helpful. Well, because you want to get that blood, you want your whole brain working
0: when you're about to step on a stage. And I love this piece of sensory that really caught my attention because when we're sending our kids outside, they're getting all sorts of calming sensory input. Sensory input, exactly. It's not overstimulating like a, a Chuck E. Cheese might be. Yes, very overstimulating. And so nature has that way of having that sensory input that's calm and not too much. And so I, I definitely that stuck out to me. And just thinking about this amygdala piece, I don't want always to be going to that spot. I want to be using the front of my brain. And so you're talking about that you can train yourself to not always go to that worry spot. So one of the things you talked about, well, first of all, was sleep. Yes. Sleep affects it.
1: Sleep affects it significantly. So that's a big deal. Uh We got
0: to make sure that we're sleeping. Uh You say the amygdala is more impacted by inadequate sleep than any other region of the brain. I hate that we have to sleep. I hate it. I'm like, I've got too much to do. I want to read more of Sissy's books. I don't want to have to do all this sleeping. But that's a good reminder that that piece of the brain needs to sleep. You also talk about moving, that moving burns off the adrenaline. Mm. 20 minutes. 20 minutes. That's amazing. Okay. And then what about this? It's like the more, all right, here's the sentence. The more the amygdala takes over, the more likely it is to take over.
1: Yes. Because what happens is, so our brains develop these well-worn pathways, neural pathways. So the more often we do something, the stronger that pathway becomes, the more likely we are to do it, which is why sometimes you'll find yourself driving somewhere like home. You didn't mean to go home. It's why Mm. I don't know today, I have jeans on. I don't know if I put my right leg or my left leg in first, but my guess is I do the same leg every day because it's a neural pathway. Yeah. So we also create these neural pathways of worry to our amygdala. And the more often the amygdala gets activated, what happens is it actually enlarges and develops what's considered a hair trigger response. It's why parents will say, I want to stop her early in the progression of her worry taking over or his worry taking over. But it's like they go there in 0.2 seconds, which is true also. But it's also because the more often it's happened, the quicker it does. When we can stop the process and shift and do something different, then we're going to retrain our brain. And we actually are going to grow neural pathways that go in other healthier directions. And we can shrink the amygdala. It takes a month to grow a new neural pathway. So it takes a lot of practice. But... We can do it, which I love. It's neuroplasticity mm-hmm. is the scientific name for it. But I love that no matter our age, our brains are still growing. It feels like such good news. I want a t-shirt. I would say, shrink your amygdala. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good goal.
0: That's a great idea. <laughs> this is very motivating, Sissy, because it's counterintuitive. Yes. Like I said, you think if you check, then it'll calm you. But the check leads to more checking mm-hmm. and the control leads to more control. And so we're trying to make that amygdala less smaller. And not not feeling anxious, but just feeling anxious and not reacting. A lot of amazing information in this book about that. Absolutely phenomenal. You talk a lot about changes in culture. There's so many balls in the air. And you say, this big statement I wish life for all kids could go back to an hour of homework a day, one practice per week, and the rest of the time just playing outside. Yes. I think they would be healthier. I think parents would be healthier too, which I thought was an interesting take. Mm. How would a child's slower childhood Mm. contribute to a parent being healthier as well?
1: Well, you know, I really have never seen kids feel as much academic pressure as I'm seeing the amount of kids I sit with who don't just want to make 100s, they want to make 104 on everything they're doing. They feel like they have to beat their record in whatever sport they're in every time they participate in that sport. They have to not just get in the play, but get in the lead in the play. I mean, the degree of perfectionism among kids and pressure they're feeling is unbelievable. It's just entirely too much. I don't know what we're going to do. I wish I could be a lobbyist and do something to stop it. But I think even if we took out all the extracurriculars, just academically, I talk to kids every day who get home from school and spend three and four hours on homework. That's just too much. Yeah. So I think what happens is then the parents have anxiety because they feel like, well, I've got to help them get whatever grade it is on this test. So then they can make this grade their junior year. So then they're going to get into the college that they want. Mm -hmm. You know, they're just as perpetually this pressure that parents are feeding in. I've got to sign them up for travel sports so that they can do well enough to whatever, be on whatever team they want to in high school. Or we've got to start cheer at three years old because I want her to be able to be on the team. I think it's not just Mm -hmm. the kids that are feeling the pressure, but the parents are feeling pressure to facilitate it, to facilitate their kids' goals, their kids keeping up, their kids excelling. And so I do think it's impacting the whole family. Interestingly enough, when I wrote the book, I had a whole chapter on play and... I tend to write things way too long and I wrote too long for this book. And that's the chapter we took out, which Mm -hmm. makes me so sad because I think in some ways more play, more getting outside, more doing unstructured things for kids would bring more health back to this generation than a lot of tools because it has its own inherent tools. Mm -hmm. That can be book 14. (laughs) There you go. That's good. (laughs) I think that when you
0: allow more play into your life, it reminds you that you can trust it Mm. and that you can trust children. And that's what we found. But I think the problem is, is that when things start so early, you don't ever have the experience of, oh, that was okay. So like for our family, we homeschool. And so we didn't start any reading until age seven, which is really out of the box. It's a big deal. I mean, these other kids are reading at four and five. We waited and some other schools do that. Some other countries do that. And then now I have the perspective of having a 15-year-old and being like, oh, that was fine.
1: Didn't really matter. Yeah.
0: But if you don't ever have those little ones where they go play and you're like, that was a fine use of the day. We all feel good. Everyone feels healthy and whole. It just starts so young. And you talk about that. You say, we're living in a more dramatic time than I've ever experienced with children and teenagers. So this book is absolutely fantastic. One of the things you brought up, there was a couple of things in here that I liked because you said them several times. I think it's like, okay, we really wanna drive this one home. We need the reminders. One of them is, I love this, let the bottom 20% go. Tell us what that looks like in reality.
1: Well, I think anybody who feels a little convicted when we talk about micromanaging, it's for you. Because when we micromanage, which I do, certainly, it means we don't see detail a lot of times. And so everything has the same level of importance. And so choosing your battles, when someone just says that, it feels really confusing because it's like, well, I don't know of a battle that's not worth choosing. And so I will say to parents, I want you to make a list of the 10 things that you are struggling with your kids over the most or that you're feeling anxious about and writing them about because of it. And the bottom two, I want you to let go of and stop talking to them about. Because when we're micromanaging like that, I don't think kids feel enjoyed. I don't think they feel believed in. I don't think they feel liked by us. And so when we can let some things go, it gives more room for us to have a sense of communicating how much we believe in them and care about them. And we're trusting them, which we know creates more confidence as well. But yeah, it's something I say a lot. Let the bottom mm. 20% go. It's good. It's
0: good with anything with your spouse. So I I don't know. My husband's name is Josh. And the other day, I don't know what happened. It was, I can't remember the situation, but I almost responded with something snarky because it it was kind of warranted, like I could have, but then I, I was like in the grand scheme of the 10 interactions of today, I should let, and I did, I let it go way to it go <laughs> it's like oh, that would be in the bottom 20 percent. i'm not going to be snarky and now i can't even remember what it was uh-huh. but it potentially could have turned into something mm-hmm. and so i just love that it's in there several times and you say start to consciously let the bottom 20 percent go so to have a list in your mind i think is a great idea another thing that you say several times in this book is a grown-up's job is to be oh this is this is so big sissy people are probably not going to love it <laughs> A grown-up's job is to be the calmest person
1: in the room. Yes, I know. I think that's a brilliant statement, and I can't take credit for it. I met with this couple who they're so neat. They don't have a lot of extended family. Their parents are not at all who they want to be as parents, and so they're working really hard, as hard as I've ever seen a couple work to have a healthy family they came in to see me one day and the dad said, he's the CEO of his company and he had been to a conference and he said, this speaker said the manager's job is to be the calmest person in the room. And he said, I immediately thought about home and thought, I bet that's a parent's job too, is to be the calmest person in the room. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that is brilliant. And it's exactly what we're talking about because when we're not, our amygdala is going to get tripped and it's going to trip the amygdalas of everybody around us. Mm-hmm. so.
0: To calm ourselves to do the work. This relates to this whole concept of that anger is a secondary emotion. So that's something. Yes. I mean, I guess I don't think I knew that at all. I don't know if I've ever read that. And that a lot of times anxiety is the basis for our anger. So if we're talking about having less worry, trying to have less anxiety, know that that's going to also help with the anger. What's inter? Okay, here's what's interesting. Have you read the book? It's called Hunt Gather Parent by Michaeline Ducleff. No. Okay. So this is a fabulous book. She, I'm going to send it to you. Okay, So she studied all of these cultures. She worked for NPR. She's been all over the world and seen how people parent in different parts of the world. And one of the things that she talks about is that in a lot of cultures, they don't ever yell at kids. They just don't do it. They view it as being, though people will say you're acting like a toddler. It's shunned as a culture. So they don't yell at kids. And she says, but also they don't even get, it's not that they're holding it in. She says they just don't even get as angry. Mm. And so how interesting, maybe they're just less anxious. Mm.
1: Maybe so. Well, definitely America is leading the statistics on anxiety. Mm -hmm. And they got more culture
0: and community and there's more help. And Mm. one of the things was like, a mom should never be alone with a crying baby. Wow. I was like, whoa, how many wow. times have I been alone with a crying baby? And the anxiety goes up, and then that's contributing yes. to anger. So they really tie together because you think, well, how could you become a person that's just less angry in general? Mm-hmm. And anxiety, this is a huge piece of it. So yeah. those married together for me really well. And I thought it was really incredibly interesting.
1: Mm.
0: I love this Thank book. Uh, so many things. What do we go to next? I don't have that much more time with you. Wow. Okay, one of the things that I love that you talk about is embracing the ordinary.
1: Hmm.
0: You have this huge sentence in here because you're talking about proposals and I mean, <laughs> things have become very elaborate. Ridiculous, Yeah. You say, we've lost, this is a huge sentence to see. We've lost sight of the ordinary. And that is, I believe, one of the biggest problems we all face today. Our culture doesn't understand the concept of enough. How do we
1: change yeah. that? I think a lot of it is going to take place in the conversations we we have with kids. And rather than them feeling like they have to be the best at everything they do. I sat with a kid this week who was just sobbing on my couch about math, about that she just couldn't do better in math. And she and her mom are fighting so much over her math homework and And I just, I mean, it's so simple, but I just said, everybody has things they're just average at, and that's okay. You can learn and you can grow, but it's okay not to make 110 in every single subject. No one does, unless they're super anxious and then they need to be outside more and listening to your podcast, but no one does, you know? And so I think helping kids know it's okay. I have a friend who signed his kids up for a team, a losing team in basketball, Because he wanted his kids to struggle and lose and experience all the growth that comes with that. When kids are average, it's good. And we need to be aware of not just celebrating the wins, but talking about the losses and saying, we don't just go get ice cream when we win, but we go get ice cream when we lose. And when we lose with kindness, because that's just as important. I think all of these things could be like those wall plaques, when kids are
0: average, it's good. Let the bottom twenty percent go. Try and shrink your amygdala. You know, all of these things. They're such great reminders because they're so practical. They're so I read a lot of books. I obviously you do too to me this book felt like i'm sitting in a comfy chair and maybe even at your place there daystar i'm sitting in a comfy chair and i'm cozy and there's a fire and i have a warm drink it felt like that it felt like that like you kind of fall into it but you even started it with can you just tell me i'm doing okay Mm -hmm. (laughs) first tell me what i'm feeling is normal and second that i'm doing a good job i need you to tell me those things i had this woman on who was a photographer and this was so impactful to me she would go into people's homes and spend the day with them and photograph just kind of the behind the scenes and what their daily life is and she had someone who contacted her and said can you come and see if there's anything worth saving Mm. i was like whoa this is where parents are at like they're struggling and so i just love that you started your book with like here i am crying i'm like crying (laughs) You're starting your book. I need you to tell me two things. feel What I'm feeling is normal and that I'm doing a good job. And so one of the things that you talk about in this book is that if we get it right 50% of the time, can yes. you tell us about that? We, that would be a great yes. place, I think, to wrap up.
1: Yes. Yeah, so attachment theory, which is what we study a lot of times when kids are babies. I mean, in infancy, and in toddlerhood, and obviously attaching is so important. And attachment theory, which again... We're talking about that when a child's brain is doubling in size in that stage of life. Attachment theory asserts that we need only get it right 50% of the time when their brain is doubling in size. And so, of course, that's true throughout their development too. And I just, I think there has never been as much pressure on parents to get it right, all of it, and to look beautifully and calm and like they're not frustrated or anxious or any of those things. I mean, the amount of Even just the parenting experts that are on social media. Hello, I'm kind of putting myself out there as one. But I think it's just too much. And I keep watching all those things. You know, there's this trend right now about you have 365 Sundays a year and you have however many Saturdays a weekend before your kids leave your home. That stuff needs to go that is way too much pressure on parents to make everything meaningful with kids. And it gets us out of the ordinary because Mm -hmm. often it's the ordinary impromptu dance parties in the kitchen that they're going to remember. You know, it's not the, I mean, so often kids don't go back to these fabulous vacations that we're planning and putting all over Instagram. It's the Mm -hmm. ordinary time as a family, the conversations that we have. I think, For parents to be able to remember 50%, just to anchor yourself to that. Because I would imagine any parent who is intentional and thoughtful enough to listen to your podcast is already getting it right 50% of the time. More than that, really. Yeah. You make a little deck of cards, I'm going to buy them. Get it right 50%
0: of the time. (laughs) It's these little quips though. And I do think that sometimes those little quips have the capacity to change your life. Let the 20% go. These types of things can swoop in where you're at, in that day. And you can change immediately. And you can see the difference immediately. And I think that's so powerful. I think all sometimes you need is one opportunity to try something a different way that you've not thought of. And then be like, oh, I'm glad I didn't say that snarky remark, because that would have snowballed into a whole thing. And it didn't happen. And now I don't even remember what it was. And so you have a chance to practice it. And you'd be like, oh, I touched I touched her face and she just loved. she like melted into it. So you do these small things and you really notice the change. Good parents get it right 50% of the time. This is one of the things that's also in the book more than once because then you quoted the study, caregivers need only get it right 50% of the time when responding to babies' needs for attachment to have a positive impact on your baby. Your children are not longing for a perfect parent. They're longing for you, for you to laugh with them and to show up for them and fail in front of them. And at their core, all parents are anxious that they're failing. Mm. What a book that you can just sort of fall into and get so much out of. It's called The Worry-Free Parents New came out this year. It'd be a great one for a new year, wouldn't it? Living in confidence. So your kids can too. But this is just one of like 100 books that you have. So you can check all of them out. This is just the newest one. And the Boys and Girls podcast is phenomenal guests on there. And I'll put all the links to social media and to your website in the notes let's end with this. We always end with the same question. And I love that in this book, you did talk about your childhood a little bit, playing outside till it was dark and spending time maybe on homework. And it was just different. Yes. We always end our show with the same question. And the question is, what's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside? Oh, that's a great
1: question. We had a lake house when I was growing up. And I think so many of my favorite memories are playing at the lake and learning to water ski and drive a boat and I think there's something about being outside that really creates independence and confidence and resilience because of those things in kids and I think my time outside growing up whether it was on the lake learning to drive a boat or whether it was playing in the creek near my house with my friends it was so good for me to have that kind of independence. And and I think it made me a more resilient, confident person. So I love what y'all are about. You are delightful. I Aww. I got on here to help your podcast listeners potentially, and I just feel encouraged hanging up. So I'm so grateful Aww. for my time with you.
0: And my nose is running, <laughs> I'm crying through the whole thing. I adored the <laughs> book. It was one that even I talked, and this is rare too, because we're running we've got five kids and this is when i was last last night i was like going through all the notes with my husband i was like listen to this she says this like isn't this interesting so that doesn't happen very often just because Mm. there's a lot of books out there and a a lot of things to talk about and so we were talking about your the negative sometimes seeing the negative before you see the positive Mm. this book is i mean look at my notes (laughs) absolutely fabulous so worry free parent Mm. You're busy with work. You are a top podcaster. You are doing meetings all over the place and helping parents. And you took the time to be with us today. I'm
1: so grateful. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so grateful you'd have me.
0: Don't leave yet. I wanted to thank you for listening to this episode of the 1000 Hours Outside podcast and kindly ask for you to quickly pop over and leave a five-star review. It helps the show tremendously. And if you don't already, make sure you are following the show so you're notified of new episodes when they are released. We have some fantastic guests slated for 2024. As we head into a new year, we've compiled all the things to help you on your 1,000 Hours Outside journey over at 1000HoursOutside.com slash blog slash all the things. Are you trying to find a link to our free trackers? It's there. Do you need instructions on how to make your tracker sheet larger? You'll find it there as well. Need links to our mobile app? Check. FAQs, newsletter signups, the 2024 kickoff pack, links to all my books and more can be found at 1000HoursOutside.com slash blog slash all the things. Check it out today and happy new year.